Morning, everyone. Morning. I'm not sure if you saw that announcement, but this week we're able to send a check for $1,310. All coming from the Hope Restored store, our profits there. And so God is blessing that, and we're looking to uh, continue to do that work. I expected when Quinton went up there, there'd be some tears. So it's a more pleasant I decided I should probably say something again. But it's an awesome way to see what God is doing there. We're believing that that's going to be a blessing to our community, that we can continue to show our community that we are for them, that we care about them, and we want to do things that support uh, the organizations that are doing great work in this area. And so because of uh, all of your support and a lot of work, uh, many of you have put in a lot of work and time there even, um, we've been able to do that. We've been able to send funds right back out the door, which is awesome. That's the, the most, uh, That's the most fun part for me. I know there's a lot of work that goes in, and for all of you who are involved in it, I'm sure there's a, a sense of uh, purpose there, knowing that your work and the time that you put in is uh, is making a difference, you know, in our, in our local community here. So thank you for doing that. I also just want to mention to you, if you're a guest with us today, uh, or if you've never filled out one of these, there's a connection card. It's right in front of you. I don't have one up here to show you, but it's right in front of you. If you could take a few moments to fill that out. And drop it in the uh, offering box on the way out. That would be great. Just want to be able to connect with you. And uh, definitely want to take the moment if you can do that. Um, that way we're able to, to connect with you. Or if you want to be a part of our email group, we can send emails to you and things like that. So you can keep updated on what's happening here at Heritage Christian Church. Now this morning I have kind of what would be a pretty challenging message. Some of these messages are not fun, but we have to be obedient to what God is speaking to us. As we're reading his word, as we're studying his word, and I've been spending a lot of time in Ruth, and I've been spending a lot of time in learning what we can grab from Ruth when we think about no turning back in our faith. On Wednesday night, as we're going through the Apostles' Creed together and learning line by line some of the history that was involved in some of those lines, we learned that in the fourth century, there was a great persecution, and Christians were greatly persecuted at that time. And there was, there's been all these different waves of persecution throughout human history. And in 303, there was an emperor named Diocletian that ordered the property of Christians be taken, that their books be burned, that their homes be burned, and many of them be imprisoned or killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Their places of worship were destroyed. And all Christian leaders were to be put in prison or killed because of their faith. Only those who sacrificed to the Roman gods were able to be released. So many gave in. Many people who were believers in Christ, they were attending churches at, at that time. They gave in and they bowed their knee to the Roman gods. And the emperor even allowed them to do it in a mass group. One large group. We're, we're going to do one sacrifice for all of you. And we'll bow down at that altar. And as soon as you do that, then you're free. You will not be imprisoned, you will not be persecuted or killed, you bowed your knee to the gods of Rome. And so many did renounce their faith at that time. They turned their back on their faith, and they turned their back to the pagan roots that they came out of. So they gave in. They feared for their lives. My fear for the American church specifically is that with the commitment level that we have, when we talk about commitment to Christ, commitment to his church, commitment to community, I wonder if we would do the same. 
We were just talking this morning in our prayer group about one of our missionaries, the Charettes. We support them monthly. Their church has been burned down by Muslim extremists. They know what persecution looks like. You see, when we get to the, the end times, and I'm not big on let's focus on the end times kind of person because I believe that God needs to, wants us to be living our lives in the here and now until he returns. But the reality is Jesus will return for his church. He will return. And will he return for a church that has turned their back on him? Or will they return to a church that has given their lives completely to him? It's a scary thought. But then there are others who were martyred for their faith. Others who stood their ground. Who stood tall in the midst of that persecution. And there are many of these stories. If you've ever read a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. Because throughout history, there have been people who have given their lives for the cause that we can... Now we can sit here in this building because of what they have done. They gave their lives for their faith. They were killed for their faith. They were persecuted. One of the men that was killed for his faith, for his refusal to bow down to the Roman gods, his name was Sebastian. This is one of the stories from Fox's Book of Martyrs. And he, was, he became a Christian in Milan, and uh, later he became an officer of the emperor's guard in Rome. He held on to his Christian roots despite of all the things around him and all the idolatry going on in the Roman Colosseums and things like that. But he refused, even as somebody in the Roman military, to bow down to the Roman gods. So the emperor was pretty mad, pretty angry, and he ordered that Sebastian be taken out into the field and be shot full of arrows to be killed for his faith. Later on, some other Christians went out to the execution scene because they figured they should at least try to give him a proper burial. As they did that, they noticed that there were some signs of life in Sebastian. So they took him and they brought him to a, a secret place where he could not be found and they nursed him back to full health. But you know what? Sebastian wasn't happy with that. He wasn't good with just living. So you know what he did? He found where Diocletian was going into the temple and he confronted him on his persecution of Christians. He went back for more. So of course, Diocletian, of course, he was pretty surprised seeing Sebastian once again. But once he got over that, he ordered that he would be arrested and be beaten to death. And this time, to make sure that his body was not found, they were to throw his body in the sewer. There was a Christian woman named Lutina. She found the body. She removed it from the sewer and gave it a proper burial in the catacombs. This is what living a no-turning-back faith looks like. This is what living a radical faith looks like. That is a life of sacrifice, being willing to die for your faith. And not just being willing to die once, but to come back for more if you heal back up. This is the kind of commitment I believe we need to see in the church No more lame excuses. We've gotten soft. We don't know what real persecution feels like. And this is the kind of faith, the no turning back faith that we see in the book of Ruth. 
A no turning back faith that doesn't fold at the first sight of trouble or run. She was committed to Naomi no matter what. Remember she said, my God, your God. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people. She was committed to loving God and loving people. And I'm calling his church to step up and to live that kind of faith. A no turning back faith. Back to a radical faith that will not back down in the face of opposition. To a faith that no longer makes excuses for a lack of commitment. I kind of can picture it this way. Paul, standing here, saying, you know what? I was stoned and left for dead. I was whipped. I was beaten. I was shipwrecked. All in my attempts to spread the church, to build the church, all over the known land at that time. Please tell me again how difficult it is for you to get out of bed and come to church on Sunday morning. Please tell me how difficult that was. Please tell me how difficult it is to get out the door on a Sunday or Wednesday. Tell me. Right? We have no idea. We have no idea. Please tell me how Sunday is your only day to fill in the blank. Our pastor in Worcester used to say it's the only day you don't have. It's the only day you don't have. It's not the only day you have. It's the only day you don't have. So what should we do? First of all, it will be it will take a church that's willing to come out of a zombie-like state. Wake up to the reality of what's going on around us. Church, it is time to wake up and to rise up. And it takes a radical faith, a faith that does not find its place in the back seat of your car, a faith that is no longer a secondary thing, a faith that is not relegated to the privacy of your own home. It takes rising up to a new level of radical faith. Like we say this morning, let faith rise up. Let faith rise up and be. This is what we see in Luke. This is what we see in the way that Luke lives. Let's turn this morning to Luke chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 this morning. We're going to kind of park ourselves right there for a few moments. It says, One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting him gather grain with his young brother. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath. Put on perfume. And dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. So here we see in this particular passage, we see a glimmer of hope for Naomi. It caused Naomi to rejoice because now she found out that Boaz was actually a pretty close relative. It gave her a glimmer of hope because now she was pushing forward a new game plan. And she's pushing Ruth forward, trying to find a permanent place for her to be. Maybe this plan didn't occur to her before, but now this plan is beginning to work its way out as Naomi is thinking through what Ruth needs to do here in this situation. Now there's a little bit of hope, thinking the situation can in fact change. We talked a little bit last week about how Boaz 
is a picture of our relationship with God. Last week we talked about how Christ was our redeemer. He was our kinsman redeemer. Redeeming what has been lost and what has been stolen in our lives. And giving back to us. But the other way of looking at Christ is a bridegroom. Which we find out later Boaz becomes as well. A bridegroom. The church is his bride. So he is the groom. We are the bride. And the Bible says that he is coming back for his church. He's coming back for a spotless bride. How do we prepare for that? How do we prepare? How do we prepare for the return of Jesus Christ? What is he going to be looking for from his church? I submit to you today that I believe he's looking for that radical faith. A no turning back kind of faith. One that has withstood the tests of time. One that has shown itself faithful. One that is not satisfied with barely getting through our leftovers. And we see that Ruth prepared to meet Boaz. And how did she prepare? Well, let's see the first thing Naomi tells her to do. Naomi tells her to take a bath. It's the first way she prepares. Take a bath. First, just a small comment on Boaz and the threshing floor. I'm not going to go through all the details here, but I want you to just have an idea of what the threshing floor was all about. There was a place where men would go to separate the wheat from the chaff, and it was often on top of a hill because there was usually a breeze going by on that hill. And when they put the, uh, the grain in the air, the chaff would blow away and the grain would fall. Uh, and at harvest time, it usually brought a great time of celebration, so during that time there was drinking and there was, uh, there was eating and just a celebration of what happened there with the bringing in the harvest. And so Boaz would have been laying on the floor or laying someplace to sleep near that harvest to protect it as kind of security for what was going on there. Security to make sure his crop and his harvest was going to uh, not be stolen. So here Naomi gives Ruth some instructions. Naomi takes a step of faith because she's assuming that this is going to be the bridegroom. So what does Ruth do? She cleans herself. Every day in the United States, 450 gallons of water are used for homes, factories, and farms. And this is enough to cover Manhattan to a depth of 96 feet. In the east, the heat and the dust required quite often that they would have to wash and cleanse themselves. But water was not always easy to come by. So Naomi was telling her, you need to clean yourself. And the law of Moses required that there would be ceremonial washings and a taking of a bath and changing of clothes before special events. So Naomi was here taking a step of faith by telling Ruth what she needed to do. She was telling Ruth to act like a bride, even before it happened. To prepare herself for a wedding. And what I want to say to you this morning is if you want to live that kind of a radical faith, which I believe God's calling this church up from, we need to be cleansed, and we need to be made clean. We need to be prepared for our bridegroom. Yes, we need to take a bath. It has nothing to do with how you smell today, whether you took one this morning. There was a worship song in the early 90s. The chorus went, Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not Lift up souls to another. So the church needs to get back to 
prepare hearts, not looking our souls to other things, not making other things a priority of our lives. And yes, the church needs out a time where it repents of the times that we have fallen short, of the times that we've misrepresented God, of the times that we've acted in unloving ways. Isaiah gives a call of repentance to the people of Israel who have become religious and very good at the festivals that they ran. But they weren't living up to their calling. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 18. You can read with me on the screen. It says, What makes you think I want your sacrifices? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure for the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all of your ceremony? Stop bringing me meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. Ask for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days of fasting. They are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not pray. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight and give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights the widows. Come now, let's suffer this, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. This is a powerful challenge to all of us who think we know the church is all A call to get things back on track where they need to do <laughs> doing good, seeking justice, defending orphans and widows. A faith that does not resolve helping those in need is empty ritual. It's meaningless. God is fed up with that kind of religiosity. That's why we started this store called Hope Restored, so that we can begin to support those that are struggling in our community. To get back find a way to say, you know what, no matter what you're going through, we're behind you. Is that what God's called us to do? To do good? Is that good? Absolutely. Is that seeking forms of justice for those that may have many needs? Defending more people's widows? It's all part of it. There's also a letter written to a church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. He said, you've been doing all these great things. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten your first love. He said, you know, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our heart adores. He's calling us back, church, to our first love. He's calling us to a place of repentance and forgiveness. Last night I received a, an alert from my phone. I'm like, three boys, you may have heard of it, that we're in, a, in some water in Brockton. And they were sending out a cruise to find their bodies. 
30 feet from the roof of Amazon facility in Kingston. Four people displaced after a two-alarm fire in Madison. 13-year-old boy recovered from COVID symptoms two months later, facing serious long-term effects. Rapper Little Reese and two others shot in Chicago in an apparent gunfight that was stolen. Sometimes they fight and argue, and sometimes they play nice and they, they play back and forth. I was talking to him about, you know, even when people are mean to you, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to be nice back. You know, that we, we treat them like we want to be treated. And, you know, Jonah, he's, he's, he's pretty young. And he said, Yeah, we, we live in a broken world. He said, We're all human. It's time to stop using COVID as an excuse. It's time to repent. 
It's time to seek forgiveness and to move forward as a changed person. There's a story called The Pit, told by John Maxwell. It's written by Kenneth D. Philkins. So the man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall in there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think that you're in the pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall in the pit. A news reporter wanted to get the exclusive story out of the pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve the pit. A Calvinist said, if you've been saved, you'd never fall into the pit in the first place. <laughs> a Wesleyan said, you were saved, and then you fell into the pit. A charismatic said, just name it and claim it. You're not in the pit. A realist said, that there's the pit. An IRS agent asked him if he was paying taxes on the pit. <laughs> And the county inspector wanted to know if he had a permit to dig that pit. <laughs> and a basic person came along and avoided the pit altogether. And a self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. Oh. A bookie said, chances are that anyone could fall into that pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. <laughs> a pessimist said, things will get worse. <laughs> But Jesus, seeing the man in the pit, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. Amen. You've been in the pit of despair for far too long. And it's time to stop diagnosing the pit and help out there. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're reaching for Jesus and he's pulling you out of that pit of despair. He is pulling you up and pulling you out. And he's not just doing that just for your sake. He's pulled you up and out for the sake of the world that he loves. It's time to stop ignoring the sin in our lives, the pit that we find ourselves in because of that sin, and to give it to Jesus today. Because he will lift you up and he will lift you out. And once you have repented and you have forgiven, Offer Jesus to others who are in that same pit that you want to Amen. Amen. You may be here this morning, you're struggling, and the only thing you can see is your pit. The only thing you can see are your problems. But you know in your heart of hearts that there is more to life than just what you're living today. You know in your heart of hearts that you're in that pit, but you can see the light of day at the top of that tunnel. But there are things, and there is sin in your life, that keeps you in the pit. That keeps you down there. And there's things that are holding you and creating a divide between you and God. That pit represents your sin and how it's keeping you from the God that loves you. He doesn't want you to live in the pit. He wants to pull you from the pit today. So why can we have a great head of God in the life We in this church, we believe in the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And the power and work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life today. It is not my responsibility or my job as your pastor to convict you of sin. It is the Holy Spirit's job 
to convict us of sin. Amen. And I simply want to just have a moment of quiet between you and God to allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your heart this morning. And Lord, what areas in my life do I find myself in? What concerns or fears keep me trapped? tired of the same old things day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And you continue to try to find ways to fill your life and make them away. This morning, just as we say, I want to declare to you that God loves you. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. That can be wiped away today by the forgiveness that Jesus offers you this morning. You can take a step today to ask Jesus Christ to be a part of your life. I'm simply going to ask you to say a simple prayer with me. Lord, this morning I bring my brokenness to you. I want to live for something greater. Thank you for loving me and giving your life on the cross so that I can have new life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Today I've placed my life in your hands. Make me new. Give me a fresh start in life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer this morning, I encourage you to download this free app on the version. In there you'll do a search and you'll find a devotional called First Steps for New Believers. I want to encourage you to begin going through that as the next steps in your faith. 
And the other thing I encourage you to do is if you're local, we'd love to see you on a Sunday at 10 a.m. And if you're not local, you can find a church that is nearby that you can be a part of and get connected to. So we're going to ask all of us today, as I read this scripture passage over us, that's a challenge for each one of our lives. And I'm going to challenge you in this next week to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the things and areas of your life that you need to look before Him and repent. James chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. It says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. I want to challenge you this week, church. It is time to rise out of the pit. It's time to live a radical faith. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the areas of your life that you've fallen short. You have heard God's word. Now go. God bless you. Thank you.